are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls all show long. Text line 334-564-1840. Brady Summersell behind the controls as well. Helping me produce the show today. Brady, how's it going today, my man? Doing well. How about yourself? How was the environment yesterday for the women's basketball exhibition? It wasn't too bad, actually. It was, it was, they had a nice little crowd there, and the band's always fun, you know. They always get into it, so they won. They got triple digits yesterday, so that's How'd always a good thing. Um, they play. They did a full court press kind of thing. They, uh, they had a uh, a lot of drives to the basket that were a little bit too easy, almost. So kind of hard to tell, but they like to play fast. You can tell they like to play fast. Do you think this team's improved? I think they have slightly improved. I know you don't have Unique Thompson. You don't really have that go-to down low, but they they look like they have slightly improved, I would say. That's exciting. I hope the women's basketball team can get back to the history that they had over the years. I know that that has recently been on a downturn, but – Hopefully, Johnny Harris can get it going. I like this coaching staff a lot. Did they have a great energy out there? It looked like, yeah. She Even Coach Harris herself was like, she was getting animated with some of the calls. You tell she cared. Like Even though it was an exhibition game, she wanted those girls to perform to the to their standards. What was the final score? I think it was like 102 to like 40-something. Wow. I'm, I'm not a lot of steals? Sure. A lot of takeaways? A lot of steals. A lot of steals. Excellent performance there then for Auburn women's basketball. Men's basketball game tonight. I know you are a major member of the student section. You excited for tonight's action? I, I would say so, yes, yeah. And former member of the student uh, student. I can't get in anymore. Why's that? <laughs> Don't have enough hours. Oh, no. And the final score for the women's game was 102 to 42, so... Are you working the game tonight for War Eagle Productions? I am. I am working the game tonight. Okay. Well, exciting games uh, tonight here uh, for Auburn men's basketball as they take on Southern Indiana. I want to know your thoughts about the Texas A&M game this weekend on the road going to College Station. A student still. How are you feeling about this ball game? You know, I'm not – I'm a little worried, but I'm also not at the same time. You can say all you want about how we haven't lost in College Station yet. But it, it still get, gives me this eerie feeling, them coming off a bye. It, it gives us the feeling of, like, what happened to Ole Miss this weekend. Like, I know we just kind of came off a bye as well, so we're getting, getting more and more healthy. But you just have that feeling that, like, it's, it's still Auburn, you know. It's not – it's a little shaky for me right now. How does the quarterback battle shake out? Uh, I think we have the better quarterback uh, by far right now. I think Bo Nix is probably playing the best football we've seen him play at Auburn in the past few weeks so and Calzada he's he's played two easier opponents and then the Bama game he looked great which was 
awesome for him, but I don't know how much he can keep that out, how consistent he can be going into this Auburn game. Here on today's show, we're going to break down the position group matchups between Auburn and Texas A&M, as well as we'll have Saturday's selections. We'll speak with Buster Daniel, Lee Scott football head coach, as well as we will also be talking to Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer, Jacob Hillman, Auburn Jungle president as well, and Weagle 91.1 FM sports director all coming up here on the Friday edition of On the Line. I'll be here with you for the full two hours for today's show. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Text line at 334-564-1840. We're going to get down into comparing the position groups between Auburn and Texas A&M. Quarterback battle here is the thing that I single in on and why I think Auburn has a great opportunity to win this game against Texas A&M tomorrow in college. Station, But as we do every week on Friday, we're going to break down every single position group, compare the two, and tell you which one we believe to be better. Quarterback matchup between Auburn and Texas A&M. I've got to give the edge to Auburn, and I was listening to the drive yesterday, and Justin Ferguson, Bill and Dan's guest yesterday, said this on their show and I really agree with this this is the first time that you can really remember in quite some time not only in this league but going on the road against a ranked opponent where you would say Auburn has the advantage in the quarterback column Brady thoughts on that I would say that's pretty accurate um Bo Nix has been very inconsistent throughout his career and this consistency is kind of weird for us Auburn fans I believe so you're just kind of like yeah, he's he's doing really well, and it's weird to see, and he's doing really well. And you say he's better than almost probably 75% of the quarterbacks in the SEC right now. I agree with that, and deep ball accuracy as well. I mean, he's looking really good right now, and of course some people will point out the strength of schedule between Auburn playing Arkansas and Ole Miss are those two teams as good, maybe as some of the better defenses out there, which Texas A&M certainly falls into that category, but I also raise concerns about the Texas A&M defense. Look, here's the reality of it. You look at Zach Calzada, he played two of the worst teams in the SEC over the last two weeks in South Carolina and Missouri. And each week he puts up about a 50% completion percentage 140 or 150 yards or so a touchdown and an interception against bad defenses with an elite running game around him which I'll give them credit they've got a really good running game but he still struggles with efficiency accuracy and decision making a lot of the mistakes and the interceptions that have come from Zach Calzada according to pro football focus five of his seven interceptions this year believe it or not have come when he has not faced pressure and he faces pressure like 40% of the time, which is a lot. I don't think this A&M offensive line is great at keeping some of the duress off of him when he is in the pocket. And, of course, his completion percentage sees a dip as well, which I think has a little bit to do with the fact that he's at 50%. Of course, some people will say he balled out against Alabama, so the potential is there. And it wouldn't shock me whatsoever if he balled out against Auburn. And my reasoning for that is, you look at Sean Clifford in the Penn State game, he had the game of his life. And then after that, what has Sean Clifford done? Some people will say, well, he's been hurt, but he was also healthy for about half of that stint. And Sean Clifford just hasn't been very good. Auburn's defense has played a lot better since that moment. But the way that Auburn plays defense, they kind of back off. They drop in his own coverage. It could lend a hand to Zach Calzada having a good game if they can protect him. I just don't think they're going to be able to protect him 
whereas Bo Nix right now is playing well under pressure. He's playing well in a clean pocket. The quarterback edge clearly goes to Bo Nix at Auburn right now with Auburn averaging right now over 250 pass yards per game for the first time possibly ever. You can't find an instance since 2004 that Auburn really even gets close to 250. 2004, they're averaging about 237 pass yards per game back in a time where it was uncommon to see teams and quarterbacks hit 300 on a regular basis. And right now, Bo Nix is getting very close to 300, and this offense is averaging over 250 pass yards per game. Bo Nix's play right now is off the charts. He's playing his best football of his career. His offensive line's playing really well around him. His receivers are catching the football. I see no reason why Auburn doesn't have a clear-cut quarterback advantage here. This one's probably the most obvious position group advantage of the day between these two teams, and I don't think it's particularly close. We move to the running back side of things, and I think this is close. I even, from a production standpoint, between their top two running backs, Isaiah Spiller and Devin A-Chain for Texas A&M, I think you can make the argument with the way that they're running the football right now between their top two guys, A&M has the better backfield over Auburn, but I also believe Auburn has the best running back between these two teams and Tank Bigsby. Jarquez Hunter has seen a little bit of a dip in production, really a lot of a dip in production. Last week he was largely unproductive across 10 carries he had just 32 yards 3.2 yards per carry against a bad defense at defending the run right now Jarquez Hunter he's he's in a little bit of a run so if you're talking about from a holistic sense Isaiah Spiller Devin A-Chain those guys are both averaging over six yards per carry A-Chain averaging over seven yards per carry they are running the ball right now at a better clip than both of Auburn's running backs but I do believe when you look at the way that the season has unfolded, you look at the run defenses that these two teams have played and then how those run defenses have chosen to play these two teams, Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter have faced better run defenses on average and they have faced more stacked boxes on average than Texas A&M has faced at this point. And that has lended a hand to Auburn having a little bit more of a difficult time breaking free some runs in SEC play as opposed to A&M at this point and and you also just you can't look past the fact that the the run defenses that A&M have played they're absolutely horrendous Arkansas giving up over 160 rush yards per game Alabama's in the bottom half of the lead in rush yards allowed per game you look at Missouri and South Carolina those two defenses are as bad as it gets in conference play right now so I'm I put a equal sign here between these two I think the backfield's are comparable from a production standpoint against bad teams. A&M has been as good as anybody in this league at running the football. But also, you look at Auburn, you can say the same thing about them, but they've done it in tougher circumstances. They've got the better back. There's probably a little bit more depth there for Texas A&M. I'll say they're about equal. Wide receiver play. I also say this would be equal. And some Auburn fi- Auburn fans might shake their head at that a little bit, but I think the way that Auburn's receivers are playing right now and the depth of targets for Auburn at receiver makes this equal Makes this a little bit more equal than it is for AM right now. AM's got two targets they like a lot right now. They like Anais Smith and they like Jalen Weidermeyer a lot. Those are the two guys that they go to heavily. Outside of that, they're getting it to their running backs, Isaiah Spiller and Devin A. Chain a lot. Those guys are getting targeted 6.25 times a game out of, on average, about 24 or 25 pass attempts for Zach Calzada. So six to seven attempts of 25 are going to your running backs. And the other, and then a nice chunk of it, about a third, maybe even a little bit over that, is going to a nice Smith and Jalen Weidermeyer. There's not a whole lot of depth there, I don't think, out of the wide receiver core 
as opposed to what we thought it would be. And maybe that could just be quarterback play having a hard time spreading the butter right now. But you look at Auburn's receiving core, and last week against Ole Miss, 10 different guys caught passes on 22 completions. 10 different players. One guy had six completions, and that was Kobe Hudson, who I do think is emerging as a go-to receiver. Outside of that, everybody else was averaging about two completions. Auburn really is spreading the butter right now to a lot of different guys, and they're all playing at a high level, and they're all getting open. Now, some people will say, uh, well, look at the competition. Ole Miss and Arkansas's defenses aren't great, but look at Missouri and South Carolina. The same thing can be said about the teams that Texas A&M is playing. They're still going 12 for 25, 12 for 24 type of performances from Zach Calzada. So receiver play, I'd say, is equal. I will say that A&M has the best target and Jalen Weidermeyer, I also think Anaya Smith probably better than any of Auburn's wide receivers as well. But from a depth standpoint, I like Auburn's receivers from a depth standpoint more than AM's receivers, Brady. Are you not uh, classifying Weidermeyer as a tight end, though? Or are you going to keep him as a wide receiver? That's fair. I did put tight ends on the rundown. Yeah, he's a... Uh... But he lines up in the slot a lot, too. He lines up in the slot 40% of the time. So I'm okay with putting him in that category as okay. well. But if we're excluding Jalen Weidermeyer, I'll take Auburn's receivers over A&M's receivers. Okay, okay. There's just more targets. A&M is getting the ball to their running backs more than some of their other receivers, like two and three on this step chart for A&M. So I, I like Auburn's receivers more than A&M. Offensive line play, moving to that portion of things. Auburn's offensive line, you know, I, I don't think they have received as much praise this season as they deserve. I said earlier this week that this group is not a liability like some people expected it to be. This group is a strength. When you look at the statistics from this season, they're 13th in the country in sacks allowed per game, third in the SEC. They're ninth in tackles for loss allowed on the season. That's first in the SEC, better than Georgia. They're sixth in the nation, in the nation, not the SEC, in the nation, in yards per rush. With all of the stacked boxes they face, they're sixth in the nation in yards per rush. That's first in the SEC. Auburn's offensive line isn't a liability. It's a strength. And I'm going to be real with you. A&M is not doing the same things on their offensive line as Auburn is, at least not from a pass protection standpoint. I think it's you're going to be hard-pressed to find a running game. And statistically, A&M is not ahead of Auburn in yards per rush in this conference. But both of these teams have had the benefits of bulking those numbers up against your Alabama State, your Akron, your Missouri, your South Carolina, that does have a little bit to do with it. But from a pass protection standpoint for these two teams, and Auburn's faced some good pass rushes, Georgia, Penn State, LSU, Ole Miss, all those teams are great in terms of sack numbers. Auburn has held up really well against those teams and has largely barred, barred the door out of them out of the backfield. I think the most shocking statistic about offensive line play for Auburn right now is that they're 13th in the country in sacks allowed. Speaking of sacks, um, in the last five games for Texas A&M, the, the, where they went 3-2, and two, the two games that they lost, they gave up three sacks in each of those games. And the three games that they won, they gave up a total of one sack. So their offensive line play could be key in this game this Saturday. And can they keep the pressure off of Zach Calzada and you break it down? And these numbers are according to Pro Football Focus. Zach Calzada is pressured nearly 40% of the time. He's faced pressure 38% of the time on his drop bags. That's a lot. And Bo Nix isn't facing that much pressure this year. 
And when he has, he's handled it really well. And Bo Nix has the ability to evade pressure and turn it into positive yardage or a big play downfield with his arm a lot better than Zach Calzada does, who only has 25 rushing attempts this year for one yard per carry. He's just not that effective of a rusher. So you are talking about offensive line play. I think that's a great place to look here. And their run blocking has been pretty good. It's coming on strong. But I'm also thinking, I'm also looking at where they've had their best performances this year on the ground. And I don't buy into the defenses that they've ran the ball on that well either. I think they've been limited when they, if they had faced some of the adversity that Auburn has faced in terms of stacked boxes, I think that they would struggle. And then to the last position group, tight end. And this is an area where I also think it's equal. Jalen Weidermeyer is the best tight end on the field. I don't disagree. Who is the backup tight end for AM? Do they even go to him? No, because you don't want to take Jalen Watermeyer off the field. You don't. But Auburn's got three different guys that have shown themselves to be sure-handed, whether it's Fromm, Deal, or Shanker. And at first, it started out just as Shanker, but then it moved into Fromm and Deal. And forgive me for forgetting Landon King, who's earning a lot of playing time right now. But Auburn is showing the depth at tight end, and we know this coaching staff loves those tight ends a lot. So once again, from a depth standpoint, I think that makes up for the fact that a may have the best tight end, and it's not close, but from a depth standpoint, Auburn can put any one of their four out there and they feel pretty confident in them, and they can make key catches. So where a might have a slight edge from having a really good player, Auburn's got a lot of depth there on offense, and I don't think that's been talked about enough with this team. It's something that has really came on across the course of this season is depth at positions that you didn't expect there to be depth at. Running back, we all thought that there was going to be a lack of depth at running back this year because of all the guys that transferred out. Tank Bigsby, still the leader in this room, but you've gotten great downs out of Jarquez Hunter and then Sean Shivers, not as a rusher, but as a receiving back. Those guys, and thank thank God, those guys have not gotten hurt, right? Because then that would really hamper the unit. But they have shown to have, Jarquez Hunter has ended up being a gem out of the backfield. You didn't expect that depth to show up. Wide receiver play after Georgia State, you all thought it was over. And now look, 10 different targets on 22 completions, and they're not dropping the football. Offensive line play, Killian Zaire slots in for Austin Troxel, and this unit statistically right now is playing like one of the best units in pass blocking and run blocking. Statistics don't lie. 13th in sacks allowed in the country, 6th in yards per rush in the nation, ninth in tackles for loss allowed. They're making positive plays. That's a good offensive line. There's depth there. Killian Zaire slotting in at left tackle. You've seen different guys have to play on this O-line because of injuries. And then tight end play. Four different guys there that could catch passes for him. I mean, I mean, just the depth on the offense is something that I think is unexpected and it isn't being praised enough about this Auburn football team. And I think that gives them an advantage over this Texas A&M team who I don't think has shown the same depth on the offensive side of the football. So even though A&M might have some studs like an Isaiah Spiller or an Anaya Smith or a Jalen Weidermeyer, Auburn's also got strength in numbers, and right now everybody's playing at a high level. Let's head to a quick break here on On the Line. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, we've got Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel with us. Coach, how you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? Doing really well. I know you guys are prepping. It's your last day of preparation for the ball game against Bessemer Academy, first round of the playoffs. Can you believe it's already here? I can't believe it's already here. I mean, you know, this this season has flown by, you know, when uh, you're having a little success and, and win a few games, you know, it does go by a lot faster than when you're losing. So 
you know, our guys are having a good year, and I'm proud of them, and uh, we're ready for the playoffs. They did everything that they were supposed to do. We talked about the playoff bracket a little bit last week, but your team does receive the favorable side of the bracket. Of course, it's not going to be easy, but they did clinch home field with the two seed and able to host a playoff game. What does that mean for the program? Well, it's big for the program. You know, it's been, uh, I think, since 2013 that I've been told uh, since last time they've had a home playoff game. And, uh, you know, so there's a buzz around here, a lot of excitement in school, a lot of excitement with the faculty and uh, in our community. And, uh, you know, it's, that's the way it should be. You know, our guys work hard. They've uh, they've earned this right to be playing at home in the playoff game. So, you know, there's a lot of buzz going around. I hope the stadium gets filled up Friday night and uh, and supports our guys. What's the message to the fan base? I know there's a whiteout for Friday night. What's the message to the fan base as you're trying to get your guys pumped up? Hey, just fill up the stadium and, you know, if, if everybody can wear white and, uh, you know, have a big whiteout theme and uh, just be loud and proud and uh, and just support our guys and, and let them know they're there. And, you know, really cheer for them and, and uh, just give them a good, good uh, feeling from behind them that they're being supported in the stands. Every year is different, of course, but what is interesting, last season you played Bessemer Academy twice, and they were the team that eliminated you from the playoffs. This year, the shoe is potentially on the other foot. Played them earlier in the regular season, handled them really well up at Birmingham. Now they're coming to your place for a home game. Uh, does last year play into this at all, or is every year truly different? Well, every year is truly different because, you know, in, in private school, the kids come, kids go, and you know they're not the same team they were last year, and we're not either. You know we we have uh, we, we we got a couple of kids in that moved in that helped us a lot. You know, and but the majority of it is our guys we had last year. And you know by by losing that last game against Bessemer and and the season we had, you know our guys really went to work. You know they didn't want to go through the same thing again. So you know they they really worked hard. And uh, but but you know playing uh, a team twice in a year is really hard to beat a good football team twice. And, and Bessemer is a is a good football team. They're not the Bessemer of old, uh, but they're still a good football team with a lot of tradition. So they're going to come in here ready to go on Friday night. And, and we've got to play a good football game to come out on top. What did you see out of Bessemer in the regular season matchup this season when you guys went up to their place? Well, they're big and athletic. They've got a pretty good quarterback. They've got a really good running back. And, uh, you know, the offensive line, offensive defense line is pretty good. They've got a, um, don't know the young man's name, but number 53 is probably the best player on the field. He's a big kid. Moves well, plays both sides of the ball. Um, so, you know, they're, they're going to come in here ready to go on Friday and, uh, and you know, give us a good game. Uh, we've got to play really well to win and, and be able to move on to the next round. I know the message to the team this year has been kind of breakthrough, take things each week, one day at a time, put your best effort each and every day, improve every day. What's the week been like of practice for your team as postseason begins? Well, no, you're exactly right. We talk about it all the time to win the day. You, know, you can't do anything about yesterday. You can't do anything about five minutes ago. So you've got to win the next day, and, and win each day you're there. Uh, you know, take it one day at a time, one game at a time, and one week at a time. And that's that's kind of what we talk about all the time. And, you know, we're not good enough to look ahead of somebody. We've got to play each game and, and do the best we can do in that game in particular. But, uh, you know, we've uh, we probably had, you know, I talked to Coach Wade and the other coaches, and we probably had our best week of preparation that we've had all year. And we've had good weeks of practice. But this, by far, the four days we were there, uh, we had our best week of preparation with focus and, and uh, being mentally in the game and everything. So it's been a great week, and uh, we're ready to go. Coach, from being at Opelika and Valley and all of your other coaching stops, you've been a part of some deep playoff runs. What does it take to go far in the postseason? 
Well, you you got to have the breaks at the right time, and you got to be playing good at the right time. You got to be peaking. Um, so you know, it, it takes a little bit of everything. You know, uh, I go back to Opelika in 2012. We weren't the best team in 6A, but we made all the way to the championship game because you know we played well at the right time and, and got some breaks. And we've got to have that here to be able to make it to the championship game. You know, we're, we're playing two, you know, two pretty good football teams. Whoever it is, um, we got to have the breaks and we got to play well. You know, at this time, everybody in the playoffs are good. Um, so you can't make mistakes, you can't have bad games because, you know, one bad game, then you're home waiting until next year. So we've got to play really well and get a couple of breaks. And, uh, you know, I think we'll be fine if we get those things. How have the seniors been over this past week or the weeks leading up to where you're at right now? Because I know it's got to be getting real to them at this point that any week could be their last game playing football. Oh, absolutely. And we talked about it, as a matter of fact, just yesterday and the day before, you know, at some point for the seniors, there's going to be a last Wednesday practice, a last Thursday practice, a last game with your buddies, you know, a last road trip on the bus. At some point, there's going to be a last. And, uh, you know, do you want it to be now or you want to be at after the championship game? Um, so that's what we talked about. And, you know, they're, 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 they've bought in. Uh, they're leading on the field. You know, they don't want it to be their last time. You know, they want to keep going as far as they can. And, uh, you know, they've acted like it on the field and, and their leadership is showing. And, you know, so it's been great for the seniors this week. Coach, keys to the ball game against Bessemer Academy? Well, we got to stop the big play. You know, we, we hadn't had anybody really just drive the football on us. You know, other than Pike, Pike did you know fairly well job of that. But they also had some big plays. But you know, just got cut down on the big plays, and and uh, you know, if somebody just drives down the field and scores and beats you, man, I'll tip my hat to them. Uh, but they haven't been able to do that. So we got to cut down the big plays. We got to you know eliminate the silly penalties, which is before the ball snap and after the ball snap. Uh, you know, just we got to take care of the little things and uh, just worry about Lee Scott and and what we what we do well and take care of ourselves. And you know, that's all we need to do. Coach, I appreciate it. Good luck on Friday night. Hey, I appreciate it. No one. Go Warriors. That was Lee Scott football head coach Buster Daniel on the line with us. A look at the 3A playoff bracket in AISA at the top of the bracket. One seed Pike Liberal Arts takes on four seed Clark Prep. Two seed Morgan Academy takes on three seed Glenwood School. The winners of those games will take on each other. And then at the bottom of the bracket, one seed Tuscaloosa Academy against four seed Valiant Cross Academy, which is a particularly interesting game. Maybe not as lopsided as people think a 1 4 could be an AISA. And then two seed Lee Scott Academy against three seed Besser Academy. All of that action tonight. Later on in the show, we'll talk with Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network play by play announcer, and we'll break down some of the public school playoff brackets coming up here on the show on the other side of this break we got jacob hillman auburn jungle president and weagle 91.1 fm sports director we'll be back back on on the line noah gardner here with you on espn 106.7 and fox sports central alabama brady Summersell producing the show today He's got Jacob Hillman, Auburn Jungle President at Weagle 91.1 FM Sports Director on the line with us. Jacob, World Series champs. How's it going, man? Man, that, that sounds great to hear, especially as I watch the Braves parade and this highlight reel that they're putting on for the Braves postseason run. So, yeah, I'm doing great today. Noted baseball fanatic. Braves fan, Atlanta sports fan, with the exception of the Atlanta Falcons. You chose the right one to cut off there. The Atlanta Braves World Series champions, you picked it in six. Take me through it. Yeah, it was a, it was a great series that, you know, the Braves had not lost at home in the postseason until that game five, which I was in attendance for. 
And really, it was just a matter of every guy stepping up when they needed to. Max Free, when they needed him to step up in game six, he did it. Whenever Dancy Swanson and Jorge Soler need, were needed, they did it in game number four on that Saturday night. Whenever Freddie Freeman was needed, he hit his home runs. It, it was just an all-around great effort from the Atlanta Braves that, you know, I, I, like I said, I predicted Braves in six, but it, it it's hard to believe how they did it. Now, we've had some questions throughout the week, and I'm sure you've seen this, whether it be on social media or on talk radio. Folks are wondering who's coming back, so what's your take on the Braves roster situation moving forward into the offseason? Yeah, it's a very interesting situation to deal with because of all those acquisitions you made right before the trade deadline, like Jorge Soler, the World Series MVP, Eddie Rosario, the NLCS MVP, as well as Jock Peterson, who, if there was an NLDS MVP, he would have been named that as well as Adam Duvall, who has been on the Braves before. And then obviously you've got Freddie Freeman, who his contract situation is up in the air. It's an interesting thing because you're going to get Ronald Acuna Jr. back next year. So that outfield is going to be littered with talent. And, you know, obviously Ronald, he will be back in May. So it's one of those things that you kind of want to stick with this outfield that won you the World Series until you have to change it. And whenever you get to that point, I don't know what you want to change because all those guys are major con- uh, contributors and they've, they've paid their dues and they've done a good job at really just making sure they are, um, like I said, just contributing and really play the major part in this World Series run. Jock Peterson made the decision for the Braves when he announced that he will become a free agent, so that makes it a little bit easier. And honestly, right. based off of the way that the postseason ended, the NLCS and then the World Series, Peterson was struggling. So that's probably the guy that you would want to see walk. But of the others, do you think there are any other outfielders that are going to go or potentially want too much money, too much playing time? It's still hard to juggle. There's still one too many spots or one too many players for one too few spots in the outfield. Well, I guess one thing you could hope for is the National League to get that designated hitter spot. Because if you do that, it's obvious you keep Jorge Soler in that designated hitter spot and let him do his thing. But if they don't do that, then, yeah, it's a really tough decision because all those other guys, Ronald Acuna was an MVP candidate. And then, like I said, Eddie Rosario, NLCS MVP, and then the World Series MVP, and then Adam Duvall, who, you know, obviously the Braves, I think they regretted letting him go this past offseason, which is why they went back after him and got him at the trade deadline. So, you know, if there's one guy, it probably has to be, I mean, I guess it would be Duvall just because I – well, I mean, it's tough to say because I feel like Duvall could play center field. You could put Ronald Acuna back at center, even though I don't like that move just because he'll be coming off that torn ACL. So Duvall, just because I guess he contributed less than Eddie Rosario and Jorge Soler, he'd be the guy. But, I mean, that's just such a tough decision. But was Rosario just a situation where it was flash in the pan and he got hot at the right time? Can he consistently do that in his career? That's another question that you got to ask. Yeah, it's very possible because, you know, I've, I've seen the uh, the Cleveland fans talk about that and say, enjoy it while you can because you never know when he's going to when he's gonna happen and he's going to go cold again. So, And I think that's the thing is next next April, all those guys are going to have to perform if they do all come back because you're not going to have Ronald Acuna Jr. So that might make it an easy decision where if you have two guys perform well and one guy not, well, that one guy is going to be the one that gets left out when Ronald Acuna Jr. comes back. 
Auburn Jungle President Jacob Hillman with us. That is the president of the Auburn student section, and there is a big basketball game tonight. Southern Indiana, the pride of exhibition games coming to Auburn Arena tonight. But before we talk about men's basketball, women's basketball, you were in attendance last night. What was your takeaways from Johnny Harris's first time out there in Auburn Arena? Well, the big thing is they went over the century mark for the first time since 2008. That is an ex- excellent accomplishment in the first game. Yeah, the competition wasn't strong, but the fact they were able to go out there and execute and really play good defense as well was something that you know you want to see, but it's hard to expect that from this women's team that did not win a game in SEC play last year. So the biggest thing for me was the energy, how they played, and and really the defense turning the uh, consistently turning Miles College over a lot. So I, I like what they I saw from them. You can't expect the results uh, to see them immediately this season, but what you want to see is that progress. And if you do see that, I know that Coach Harris is really recruiting hard, and she's doing a good job at it. Men's basketball in action tonight against Southern Indiana. Once again, the pride of exhibition games. This is a tough team coming to Auburn's house. Yeah, Coach Pearl, he's talked about it. This is one of the toughest Division II teams in the country. They are coached by one of Coach Pearl's former players. He'll actually be honored before the game today. There's a little article written on AuburnTigers.com about him. So it's going to be it's going to be fun to see that. And I know Coach Pearl will be extremely – he won't be extremely emotional, but he'll probably be pretty emotional, you know, having, having his former player coaching against them, especially because it's a great team. And he's talked about all week how – that entire Southern Indiana roster is older than his roster. The only thing that's older about Auburn is himself uh, above the coach of Southern Indiana. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, facing uh, them tonight. Of course, we know what the starting lineup is going to look like in four out of five spots. Wendell Green at the point guard spot. I would imagine KD Johnson at shooting guard. Small forwards up for grabs. Power forward Jabari Smith. And then Walker Kessler at center. Who do you think is the fifth guy there at small forward? Is it going to be Devin Cambridge? I know this is a guy that you and I aren't super high up on in our conversations. But on the flip side, he seems like the obvious option to go with based on experience. Yeah, I think so because Jalen Williams, I mean, he even played some time at the five in the scrimmage last Friday night. So. I feel like they're going to want to focus him more in on the uh, the front court, whereas you want Devin Cambridge on that wing with Chris Moore behind him and Williams playing if he needs to. Now, the thing about Devin Cambridge is what you want from him is to come off the bench and provide that spark that he's done so many times in his career at Auburn. And, you know, I don't know if he's going to get the chance to do that until SEC played this season with Alan Flanagan out with his Achilles injury. So, you know, and another thing is, I'm not even 100% sure it'll be KD Johnson at the shooting guard position. It might be Zepp Jasper as he really brings the, that defensive tenacity that you know KD Johnson still brings, but I feel like you want to bring the experience Zepp Jasper in over KD Johnson, who's only played half of the season. Of course, exhibition games, hard to glean anything. Auburn lost the exhibition game once and still went to the NCAA tournament which at the time we probably all thought that was a super low point for Auburn basketball when they lost that game and then still look at them. So like I said, not a whole lot to glean from an exhibition game, but what things do you watch from floor level, exhibition game, what do you try and take away from it that are independent of the opponent that you're playing? 
Yeah, and in reality, it's got to be how the team executes the offense, especially because it's a new team. All these, I mean, I, none of these starters have played together before. Not, not a single one. Because you'll have one returner starting, and that'll be Devin Cambridge or Jalen Williams. But the other four, they never played together before. So I want to see on the offensive end exactly who's lost, who's not, who is already executing the plays correctly. And I know that's what Bruce Pearl is looking for because he knows that this team is going to experience growing pain. It is what it is. If you give up a lot of points on defense to the Southern Indiana team or even you turn the ball over a little bit, you know, it is what it is. Like you said, it's an exhibition game. But what you want to see is a lot of positives so that you can build on that because the negatives is hard to build off of, whereas the positives in film you say, this is what you did right, do it again. So I want to see who exactly is out there, who is comfortable, and who is executing. Take me through the message to the students. Of course, I imagine first men's basketball game post-COVID area where you can have full attendance. I imagine it's going to be packed out. But what do you think? Attendance looks like not just student section, but atmosphere across the entire arena. Yeah, understandably, tonight might not be the best atmosphere in the world because it is an exhibition against a Division II team. But you know, when we when we look towards Tuesday against Moorhead State, that's when we really want to make sure we pack out the arena and we want to do it early. We want to be loud, show out, and uh, and be proud because, like you said, it's the first time we're going to be able to pack Auburn Arena since that COVID era whenever we played Texas A&M in Auburn Arena and, and lost that last game. So the big thing is just to show up early and make sure you are loud when you get inside because you're it, it, it's just going to be a great year and just a lot of fun to be back in the arena because, you know, these freshmen and sophomores, neither of them have ever experienced the jungle like I have or even the juniors have. So that's the big thing for us is making sure that the freshmen and sophomores get that great experience in their first year in the jungle. Jacob, I also know that you do the podcast or you help out with the podcast for the Auburn Sports Network. Take me through what's going around and maybe some of the peripheral sports at Auburn Athletics. Auburn soccer lost yesterday to Arkansas 5-1 to in the semifinals of the SEC tournament. Auburn volleyball, what's going on with them? Take people through some of these peripheral programs that have been showing out and playing really well this year. Right. Soccer, they're ranked 23rd in the nation. They've got a high RPI. They're going to be in the bubble for hosting uh, a tournament game next weekend that that will be released on Monday at 3:30 that's when the NCAA women's soccer tournament selection show is so keep an eye out on that to see where Auburn is placed I, I don't think they're going to host but uh, we'll have to see you never know they might give them the benefit of the doubt because of the tough teams they play Arkansas's fifth in the nation and it, it's tough to beat a team like that whereas Auburn beat South Carolina for the first time in 10 seasons on Tuesday night and when you look at volleyball they lost in five sets last night. What I've seen from them this year is something I have not seen from this volleyball team in several years, and it's fight because, you know, last year when they didn't win an SEC game or an SEC match, it, it was something that they looked like they were just taking the beating for whatever it was. It is what it is. They're just trying to get through the season. This year, they've been a little up and down, but the ups have been so high, like a sweep against Alabama over uh, the weekend at LS- when Auburn football was at LSU. And then – Tonight, I think it's an important match because you went to five sets with Texas A&M. So now you've got to adjust and make sure that you really fix the things that went wrong so that you can get a win tonight. Jacob, before we let you get out of here, I want to ask you about the Texas A&M game tomorrow as our football team heads to College Station. Auburn fans are optimistic. A&M fans are optimistic. A&M is favored by four and a half points right now. Where do you fall? 
yeah, I, I'm optimistic for Auburn as well. I think that that, that four and a half number is kind of high because I understand why Texas A&M is favored being at home. It's kind of like when Auburn was favored last weekend against Ole Miss. But it, it just feels like this Auburn team is finally starting to really get in a groove. You know, you got two key defensive players last week back with T.D. Moultrie and Owen Papo. They didn't make huge impact. Other than, you know, Papo had that huge tackle in that swing route. But, it, you know, it's their first game back in almost a month. So you don't expect them to go out there and do what, like, Jacoby McClain did and tackle 14 guys. So I think this is the week that they really come back and they're ready to go. And the offense, Hank Bigby had his season high in rushing yards last week. Now that Ole Miss defense is not the same as the Texas A&M defense, but you really got to think that puts him in a groove and he's ready to show out again, as well as Bo Nix. He spread the ball out to 10 different receivers last weekend. I really think that Auburn's in for a heck of a November. Jacob, I appreciate you taking the time to stop by and speak with us here on this Friday edition of the show. Tell everybody where they can find all your great stuff. Yeah, follow me on Twitter at Jacob Hillman AU. Follow the Jungle account. Follow the Weagle account. Follow those accounts I'm affiliated with. And uh, and I, I always enjoy being on the line with you, Noah. And then you're also on the pregame show as well, right, for the uh, Auburn yeah, Sports the, Network? Yeah, the Tiger Tailgate show. So you can always stop by and say hello against Mississippi State and against Alabama this uh, the rest of the season. Jacob, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great weekend and a great Friday night. You as well. Thank you, Noah. That was Jacob Hillman, uh, Auburn Jungle President and WGL 91.1 FM Sports Director here on the line with us for this Friday edition of the show. Always love talking to folks that are on campus that play a major part in the atmosphere and the Auburn Jungle President and the guys a part of that group even when I was in school, I mean, that was when you really began to see its ascension. They really get into it. Brady, you know about it as well because you were one of those guys. They play a big part, and they have played a big part in the atmosphere in making Auburn Arena one of the toughest places to play in the entire country. Yeah, I can remember going there my sophomore year and being there six hours before a game, lining up. Couldn't do that in my freshman year. My freshman year, you just walk in. Walk in. Now it's like, you're you going, gotta get there. You got to get there way earlier than you think you bring have to. your lawn chair. <laughs> Man, take we, shifts in case you got to go to class for the big games. I mean that that's a thing now. It it was the most fun. It was sometimes the most fun times of our lives. Just sitting there and talking to all the people. Bring that's lunch. Actually, where I met Hillman, Jacob Hillman, yeah. and we were always there way too early and in way too cold conditions. It was always <laughs> freezing. It sucked. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one of On the Line when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. Freddie Somersell producing the show. If you want to call in, 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls. It's time for our favorite segment of the week, Saturday Selections. Saturday selections. All right, getting into it. Sting, Lance, obviously not here. Brady's going to be taking over for Sting to give you Sting's predictions. I do not have Lance's yet. We've got a couple of games here on the peripheral, early morning games, 10.30 a.m. CBS, Army at Air Force. When the service academies get together, it is always a fun time. And people may be wondering why we're picking this game. Look, there's not a ton of great games this weekend. I like to pick a lot of games on the show. This is one that made the cut. This is a fun game. 10.30 a.m. CBS, if you want to stop watching game day, you can watch this game. 
I'm taking Air Force to win this one at home. Once again, when two service academies get together, you can expect a smashing football game. There isn't much to separate these two teams from a statistical standpoint. They both run option offenses. They both stop the run fairly well. Air Force appears to have the better offensive line, appears to be slightly the more battle-tested team, the team that's actually beaten, a team that's actually got some talent like Boise State, whereas Army hasn't done that yet. I will take Air Force to win this game. That's the difference. Who does Sting got, Brady? Sting also has Air Force for all the reasons you stated. Sure. That's him every week. (laughs) Sting says, you hit the nail on the head. Everything that I would have said. Number five, Ohio State at Nebraska, 11 a.m. on Fox. I still think this Nebraska team is better than their record suggests. Statistically, Nebraska has not been a bad football team. Believe it or not, despite being three and six, the Cornhuskers average 29.9 points per game and give up just 20.3 points per game. So that tells you they're outscoring their opponents this year, even though they're three and six, which is bewildering. All of their losses are close, and they played some really good teams close. They may play Ohio State close, but they have not been able to get over the hump, and they've lost by one-score games over the last three weeks, and if they haven't been able to get over the hump against Michigan, Minnesota, and Purdue, all teams that are worse than Ohio State, all teams that possess less offensive firepower than Ohio State, they're not going to get over the hump this week. Nebraska falls to 3-7, and seven, miss a bowl game again. Scott Frost, that's danger time. Hot seat. Yeah, Sting also has Ohio State, and I, I think uh, I think we'll see Ohio State's offense uh, come out and do their thing again this weekend. Last game to pick here before we head out for our number one. Number nine, Wake Forest at North Carolina, 11 a.m. ABC. As Christian Clemente said on our show yesterday, America's team, the Wake Forest Demon Deacons, having the season of a lifetime. They enter a month now of November that features their most perilous games of the entire season. Who knew that Wake Forest would have the better Sam? Is Sam Hartman truly a better quarterback than Sam Howell, who we all thought would have had a shot at the number one overall pick? It's quite possible. He's definitely played better statistically, but it's been an easier schedule. UNC's playing a lot better than they were when they lost to Florida State in early October a month ago. We know this team can score, and we know Wake Forest can give up points. Just look at Army two weeks ago when they dropped 49 or 56, whatever it is. We also know that Wake Forest can score, and North Carolina can give up points. Just look at the entire season for North Carolina. Look at last week, gave up 44 to Notre Dame. They only scored more than 40 points one time this season. Slight majority of the cash, when you look at the betting lines here, a slight majority of the cash is on North Carolina to cover the two-and-a-half point spread, which means the Sharps are going with the Tar Heels. I'll ride with the smart bettors, too. Give me North Carolina to give Wake Forest their first loss of the season. Sting has the opposite and has Wake Forest continuing their undefeated run. Lame! Give me North Carolina to pull the upset. At some point, they're going to lose. It may not be this week, but at some point, they're going to lose. And I think it is this weekend. Going to Keenan Memorial Stadium, I believe that's what it's called, in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Give me the Wake Forest Demon Deacons to fall in their first game of this season. It'll drop them to 8-1 and on the year. It'll probably send them plummeting down the poles. There's not a whole lot of respect there already for them at 9 but they are a good team and they can score. I think that's maybe the most entertaining game of the weekend. Wake Forest, North Carolina, because of points. If you like to see no defense, that'll be it. Oh, yeah. That's it for hour number one of On the Line. We'll have hour number two coming up. A look at the position group comparison on defense between Auburn and Texas AM. Stay tuned. 
are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun show so far today. And it ain't over yet. One more hour to go on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama before we send you out to the weekend. Noah Gardner here with you. Brady Somersell behind the controls. If you want to call in 334-321-1390, we are taking your calls here on the Friday edition. Coming up at 3.30, we got Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer here on the line with us. That'll be coming up in 30 minutes to talk to us about Auburn High School's first-round playoff matchup against the Baker. It's the Yellow Jackets, right? They have the Georgia Tech logo. The Hornet, Baker Hornets. Oh, okay. The Baker Hornets, excuse me. They take on the Baker Hornets. 6.30 pregame on Wings 94.3, 7 o'clock kickoff on Wings 94.3. You can catch the Auburn High Sports Network on the home of the Auburn High Sports Network, Wings 94.3. Once again, 6.30 pregame, 7 p.m. kickoff is the first round of the playoffs. We'll also take a look a little bit at the public school bracket, 7A, obviously one last round, but a lot of good stuff coming up here in hour number two. We'll be doing Saturday selections as well as continuing to compare the position groups between Auburn and Texas A&M. But before we get to that, I saw a certain quote creep up on me on my timeline on twitter pro football focus tweets out a graphic gus malzahn had something to say about the cincinnati bearcats quote i've played georgia and alabama every year they're right there they're a team that can win the whole thing end quote ucf head coach gus malzahn on cincinnati i like gus but i disagree here if you put cincinnati in the sec If they play Auburn's schedule, if they play Alabama's schedule, are they still undefeated? If they play Georgia's schedule, are they still undefeated? I don't know if they beat Clemson in week one. You're telling me they're going into Death Valley, Happy Valley, and at least getting getting one one of those? This this year, this this year, they play Auburn's schedule. There's no way they're going into Happy Valley or Death Valley and winning one of those. I just don't think they're undefeated with the same schedule that some of these other SEC teams have had to play. Are they undefeated if they play a Kentucky schedule? They had to play Florida, play LSU, Georgia. Are they undefeated on that schedule? You know, like now are 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 they one loss doesn't exclude you from the playoff? Or are they two losses or more? Right. At the end of the day, I think they do finish with two losses and wouldn't win the SEC, which would keep you out. You know, I mean, you can't lie. Cincinnati is benefiting from playing in the American Athletic Conference, and to say that they are on the same... It's almost like it's a dig on Georgia and Alabama. It's like Malzahn's a state away, knows they can't do anything to him anymore, and can say, these guys are on your level. No, they're not. We all know that. Look at that Georgia defense. Cincinnati's defense isn't like that. Georgia would beat Notre Dame just as bad as they've been beating everybody else. Cincinnati struggled their way to that victory, struggled their way to victory over Indiana. 
Alabama beats Indiana 49-9 like they beat Mississippi State. I just don't think that this Cincinnati team has earned their way, and I'm glad the committee agrees with me, I don't think they've earned their way to a top four spot. And some folks out there may say, well, why do we play the games anyway? Why are the other teams playing tougher schedules then? Why doesn't Alabama just move to the Conference USA? They need teams. The games have to mean something. The strength of schedule has to mean something too. And the wins that you're playing, I'm not saying that the games don't matter. The season matters. Cincinnati being 8-0 does matter. But the teams that you beat also have to matter. And UTSA not being ranked, I think they should be ranked. But at the AP poll, what are they, like 16? UTSA shouldn't be ranked 16. They're not the 16th best team in the country. If they play to the SEC, would they still be undefeated? Would they have less than two losses? Probably not. Probably not. And the reality of it is, UTSA will beat Louisiana Tech or UNLV by a touchdown, whereas other teams will beat them by much more than that, that are currently ranked behind them in the AP poll. And so I just, I some people may say that, I, and I have been called this before, a college football elitist. And others will say, well, how does the group of five even get into the playoff under these circumstances? Here's what you do. You either expand it to 12, which does water down the championship product at the end of the day. Like, at the end of the day, we all know that there's only a select group of teams that have the ability to win the title. But if you want more football, which is a goal for some people, if you want more football, if you want... To see those teams get a chance, that's how you do it. 12-team playoff. And I would have no gripes with having Cincinnati in, which under you know one of the scenarios that we saw prompted by the decision makers out there that were discussing this back over the summer was that the highest-ranked group of five champion makes the college football playoff. It was all conference champions based. It was like the five highest-ranked conference champions get in which or six highest I can't remember which one but either way it was going to open up the door for sure for a group of five team to make the playoff there typically is a group of five team inside the top 12 of the rankings at the end of the day and I'm okay with seeing that I'm coming around to the idea of a 12 team playoff but in a 14 playoff you are going to have a really difficult time convincing me with Cincinnati's schedule this year that they're one of the four best teams in the country unless there is absolute carnage from here out on the other group of five or on the other power five teams that are hovering around them on the rankings like Oregon will have to lose Ohio State will have to lose again there would have to be only one SEC team that I felt like deserved to get there Oklahoma would have to lose like there would have to not be a true like the other the other power five conferences would have to send guys with two losses to the table and I don't think that's going to happen either they just don't have a, a tough enough schedule to get there and I, I and at the end of the day you have to put together proof that you need that you deserve to be there the eye test matters and Cincinnati struggling the last couple of weeks against Tulane and Navy that's not that's not going to cut it for me and so I, I respectfully disagree with Gus Malzahn here that they're apparently on the same level as Georgia and Alabama or that they're right there with them no way maybe right there with them and that they're only four spots ranked behind Alabama and the college football playoff rankings but I'm not buying it. Not buying it at all. Let's move back over to comparing the position groups between Auburn and Texas A&M as we do every Friday. We've already gone through the offensive position groups. Basically, the way this works is who's got the better quarterback, who's got the better backfield, who's got the better receivers, offensive line, tight ends. We went through the offensive side of things, and I didn't give a single group to A&M. 
I said uh, several of these were equal, but I did not give a single group to A&M, and defense is going to be the same way. I love Auburn in this matchup. I think Auburn has the potential to go into College Station and roll Texas A&M and expose them. I think they are fooling folks right now. Absolutely fooling folks because of one exceptional game against Alabama, which I think you could put a lot of that on Alabama for the way that they lost that game. Some boneheaded play-calling decisions in the red zone, turnovers, penalties. I think you could peg a lot of that on Alabama in that game. Zach Calzada played out of his mind, and AM did too, and so I'm going to give him credit for winning that game. But And that that's a big part of why I think they do deserve to be ranked 14th right now. They are a two-loss team of the SEC that does, to a degree, control its own destiny for the college football playoff if they were to win out. They do need Alabama to lose again, which is possible. But this A&M team is fooling you. They're fooling you. On an easy schedule outside of that Alabama game, it is fooling you right now. And I think they are more closely aligned with the team that only beat Colorado 10-7, to the team that only scored 10 on Arkansas, the team that lost to Mississippi State, because that's what they've shown you more this year. The, even when they played South Carolina and Missouri, the scores were lopsided. They should have been. But they were only lopsided because they ran all over those teams. Those teams have terrible rush defenses. Quarterback play and the passing game was still bad. Defense looked good. And I do think this is a pretty good defense. Still think this team's fooling you. Still think this team's fooling you. Let's look at the defensive position groups between Auburn and Texas A&M. Defensive line play. This is probably... Aside from the secondary here, I think this is one of the closer position battles on the entire football field. But Auburn has some startling some startling statistics on the defensive line, and startling in a good way. You look at the Auburn defensive line this season, and we were debunking myths earlier this season, poor narratives, incorrect narratives about Auburn football earlier this week. I believe that was on Wednesday possibly Brady you'd have to help me to remember it was either on Tuesday or Wednesday's edition of the show we are breaking down misconceptions about Auburn football it's something that I hear in the stadium often might come from one dude two rows behind me could come from anybody in my section somebody when Auburn's starting to bleed a little bit of yardage on a drive against a pretty good offense like Arkansas and Ole Miss somebody's going to pull their hair out of their head and say Auburn's defense isn't good the statistics don't lie 26th in the country in sacks I was shocked to actually see they were that high I was pleasantly surprised because it doesn't feel like they've been getting home at that rate but apparently they have they're 26th in the country in sacks they are fourth in the nation and tackles for loss first in the SEC tied actually better than Georgia in that category Tennessee's got a really good defensive line they're up there Auburn's better than them Auburn's defensive line is not being talked about enough for its ability to create negative plays and doing it with less guys as well. They're doing it on three-man fronts. They might have a stand-up outside linebacker, but they're doing it bringing less. 26th in the nation, and Auburn rarely ever blitzes. Doesn't blitz enough for people's, for people's, uh, for people's want. People want to see Auburn blitz more, but they don't. They drop back in his own coverage, and this defensive line's doing their job. 3.26 rush yards allowed per attempt. This defensive line is a top four defensive line in the SEC I think A&M fits into a similar category but when you look at the Texas A&M Aggies on their defensive line they are not producing at the same level that Auburn is against the good offensive teams that they've played 
Texas A&M against the good running teams they've played. I think they've played four good running teams. By my, by my view, they have played four good rushing teams this year. These are the rushing statistics they've given up. Week one against Kent State, the Golden Flashes, 226 rushing yards. Colorado, with no passing game whatsoever, you knew they were going to run the football. 171 rush yards per game, or 171 rushing yards in that game, and they hung with Texas A&M. Arkansas bullied them, 197 rush yards. Alabama, 153. And again, where they threw the football a ton. The good rushing teams have been able to run on this A&M defensive line. They get into the nickel a lot, meaning they're going to have four guys down, two guys in the uh, two linebackers in the box behind them. So there's going to be about six players. They haven't committed a whole lot to the run this year. That's not something that they do. They like to drop back into zone coverage. Similar defense to what Auburn does when they get into the nickel. They're not going to stack the box against Auburn because they got to respect the passing game, and they like to put five DBs on the field. So what you're going to get at 81 point, you're going to get six players in the tackle box. Auburn runs his own scheme. This is football knowledge for you one-on-one. Cut the field in half. Which side is Auburn running to, left or right? Let's say they're running it to the right side of the field. Say they're running strong side. Auburn's got a tight end on the right side of the line of scrimmage. Cut the field in half and count how many blockers you have on the offensive line over there. Count the center as well because he is a part of that blocking scheme on the right side of the field. You'll count the center, the guard, the tackle, and the tight end. you got four blockers on that side. If you cut the field in half and look at how many defenders are in the tackle box on the right side of the field, once you cut the formation in half, there's only three on the defensive side. Four beats three. And we saw Auburn do this a lot against Ole Miss. They got under center. Have a lot of eye formation in the Ole Miss game, I felt like, more than we had seen any of this season. They love the pitch play in the Ole Miss game. You also have to count the fullback. So now there's five blockers. Auburn's going to get a lot of numbers, I think, against Texas A&M in the ground game. They're going to create numerical advantages for them in the tackle box that is going to allow them to get a nice chunk of yardage against Texas A&M. That's my prediction. I would be shocked if Auburn doesn't break 150 on the ground. And if Auburn breaks 150 on the ground, I think they put up, 30 or more points I think Auburn's going to go into A&M and score more than 30 points a lot of that has to do with defensive line play and so I like this I like how Auburn's defensive line right now is playing with fewer numbers than A&M is right now and I think Auburn's going to get some of those statistical advantages in the box whereas A&M won't do as much to create that especially with the way that Auburn's linebackers are playing which I think you would have a hard time finding a better linebacker group in the SEC over Auburn other than Georgia and then Alabama and Auburn's right there with them in terms of production. Oh, and Papo goes down? Doesn't matter. Chandler Wooten slots in, and then at midseason, he's right there with Jacoby McLean. 53 tackles for McLean, 52 for Wooten. Unreal. And now Papo's back. So you got three guys that you can put on the field at any point that you feel confident in. Texas a doesn't have Owen Papo, Jacoby McLean. They don't have the Terminator at linebacker. Come on. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm pretty sure I saw Jacoby McLean's eyes turn red at some point in that ball game. Like there was a flash of light through his face mask. Someone like lift up the someone lift up the skin. You'll see metal. It's I mean he's the Terminator. I think Albert Football put out a graphic with him uh, on Halloween with the Terminator face too. It fits. And Owen Papo's an athletic freak. Going to be able to cover the ground. Going to be able to cover a lot of ground. And I think Owen Papo actually plays a significant role in this football game in terms of pass coverage. You're going to see Texas A&M attack the middle of the field probably more than a lot of Auburn's previous opponents you, you look at the last two opponents for Auburn Ole Miss they like to get the ball out on the perimeter they like to get the ball out on the edge with their athletes they like to stretch the field a little bit vertically 
Arkansas is another team that likes to do that. Doesn't like to throw the football a whole bunch. Didn't have a whole lot of threats in the middle of the field, especially at the tight end position. You look at Texas A&M, their best receiving threat is their tight end, Jalen Watermeyer. Who guards the tight end? The linebackers. Owen Papo, I think, is the one guy out of this linebacker core. Not that Zacoby McClain hasn't been decent in pass coverage, hasn't improved this year in pass coverage, but I would trust Owen Papo with supposedly, as he's had at media days, his sub 4 40 his ability to cover his range, his ability to cover sideline to sideline. I think step for step, he can hang with Weidermeyer and make plays in the pass game a little bit better than the other linebackers can. So I think Papo's going to play a key role here in stopping Jalen Weidermeyer on Saturday. And it's great to have Papo back. He came at the right time, got to be, was able to get a game under his belt. Now hopefully he's still 100%, and he's continuing to get closer to 100% if he's not. So I think Papo getting that game under his belt helps him out a lot, and it's good to have him back. And then, of course, the other guys are every bit as good at run stopping. I mean, this is an elite linebacker core for Auburn. It's, it's the best linebacking core that I can remember for quite some time, stretching back to Tuberville's days when those linebackers – I mean, Auburn was built on defense back then. This is the best linebacking core that Auburn's had in the last decade. Easy for me. A&M's isn't, isn't as good. Once again, Georgia and Alabama, the only two linebacking cores I think you can say are better than Auburn's. And that's just from a – Alabama's is better from a sack production. I don't know if they're as good at, from, a, from a run-stopping from a, from a run perspective. Georgia's is good both ways. Defensive backs, I think this is equal. A&M this year has played really well. Once again, 4-2-5 scheme. They're going to put a lot of defensive backs out there. Opposing quarterbacks are just completing 60% of their passes for 199.9 passing yards per game. Nine touchdowns, nine interceptions. Secondary's played well. They've played really well. And honestly, going into the year, I thought this was the weakest unit on the AM defense, but I actually think it may have proven at this point to be the strongest unit for the AM defense. I like this group a lot. I think that they are playing, maybe in some ways, once again, you go back to why a lot of Auburn fans complain about this defense, is that Auburn has had the propensity at times this season to bleed some yardage in the secondary, but I also think the Auburn secondary has gotten better. I think the Auburn secondary has improved in this scheme, and it just took them a little while to pick it up. And right now, I think they're playing their best football of the season in terms of defending the pass. Roger McCreary, according to Mel Kuyper and Todd McShay, is a first-round draft pick. A&M may not have a first-round draft pick in that secondary, but as a unit, they have played really well against the pass, and that'll be something that Bo Nix, and Bo Nix has a great game in this one, and Bo Nix does another 22 for 30 for 275 and a touchdown. Uh, this is legit. Bo Nix is having a legit season at that point. I'll, I'll, I will put a lot of stock in Bo Nix having a big game against this A&M defense. We'll take a quick break here. When we come back, we'll head to the phone lines as well as we'll keep going through Saturday selections. You're listening to On the Line. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We're going to head to the phone lines now. we got Keith on the line with us. Keith, how's it going, man? Hey, it's going good. Uh, yeah, I just turned you on and uh, and heard what you were saying, and I just wanted to back you up on that. I you know, I was kind of on the bubble about this game. I mean, I guess the Alabama game kind of had me uh, a little bit afraid, but uh, once you start thinking about it, um, uh, the matchups and stuff, uh, you know, even though I don't know a whole lot about Texas A&M, I think they got the, uh, you know, the all-star team or, or the name team, but uh, we got a lot more experience and, and we're playing well. And uh, I don't see, you know, I know they got some good running backs, but we got some good running backs. And uh, I don't know of any matchup that they 
they got uh, uh, upper hand on us, and uh, there's no reason to doubt our coaches, man. We're doing good. We we beat uh, Ole Miss and Arkansas and LSU, and uh, you know we we should have beat those teams, and uh, we're supposed to beat those teams. But you know this Texas A&M is they got the the big state and the big uh, money and the big stadium and everything. So it, it, this is uh, where I think the coaches are going to show out and. And I think we're going to put up some points. And, you know, it did have me a little bit scared because of uh, not scoring a touchdown in the uh, second half of the last game. But uh, I think they're going to do it. I mean, I think they'll, they'll score 30 or more, maybe 40. I think Auburn wins by two touchdowns or more, Keith. We appreciate the call, my man. Thank you. Thank you. That was Keith on the line with us. I agree with him. I think, I think Auburn wins by two touchdowns or more. You look at the matchups more. I understand Auburn fans being uneasy. I mean, you're going on the road to – and I know I've called this a children's playground in terms of how, how tough it is to play there, but it is loud. And um, it, 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 there are a lot of people that pack into that stadium, but I also don't think it's the most hostile crowd that you would face in the SEC. They may have a lot of people. They may have more people than most of the stadiums in the entire league, but it's not as hostile as LSU or Florida or Athens. Like It's, it's not as hostile as those places. And if you think Auburn is afraid of playing like if you're one of those people out there that think Auburn is afraid or that this road environment is going to be tough for them they have played in Death Valley and Happy Valley already this year I go back to this is a children's playground compared to Death Valley and Penn State this is a much easier road environment than than those places I think and Auburn's record there on the road suggests that also something else I want to point out about this game the times where A&M's beaten Auburn, they've had Johnny Manziel, they've had Mike Evans, they've had big, they've had big name guys. They don't have big name guys on this team, you know. I mean, Isaiah Spiller's good, but he's he's not Mike Evans. He's not, he's not. I, I mean, I I can't think of a great running back to compare him to at A&M because that's not been what they've hung their hat on. But like, he's not. They they don't have a Johnny Manziel or a Mike Evans to put this team over the edge. And and honestly, I think that's been a big part of why this team's been so disappointing in big games over the years is that they're kind of what you see is what you get. They're going to line up, play you straight forward, play you straight forward on football, and at the end of the day, I think talent's going to win out. I think Auburn's just as talented as they are. I think Auburn's more talented than they are this year. And I don't see a matchup that A&M wins at this point. I understand people being uneasy just because they're, they're you look at Auburn and some folks are just like, well, when is it going to end? But this isn't a team of destiny situation with Auburn. This is Auburn's just better than the teams they're beating right now. Auburn's better than Ole Miss. Auburn's better than Arkansas. Auburn's better than LSU. I think Auburn's better than Penn State. They didn't win that game. And there were some things that happened in that one that make you scratch your head and think, man, Auburn should have won that one. You wish you had it back. Because people would view this team a little bit differently right now. But at the end of the day, let's quit talking about this Auburn team as like some kind of team of destiny or they're just getting by. They're not just getting by. They just beat two teams that were ranked higher than them by over two touchdowns. By double digits, they're better than those teams that they are playing. And I think they're better than A&M, too. And uh, something that I wanted to add to, to Keith's call, which was a great call, by the way, if you want to call in, 334-321-1390. Four-and-a-half-point line to A&M's bulletin board material. I don't think you can say that this team's not motivated. Like, I can understand if Auburn was favored going into this one and maybe there was a little bit of a letdown because of how they had played the last two games and that they had won some big games and maybe they started you know, feeling themselves a little bit too much and they were, they were overly confident. I don't think that's the case. You were looking for motivation? Go look at the line. Four and a half point favorites to A&M. Bulletin board material. 
Maybe they don't think they're as high up as they should be in the CFP rankings. They can find something to motivate them. Motivation's not going to be a problem. A&M may be looking for some motivation too, but that four and a half point line definitely maybe instills some false confidence there for the Aggies in my mind. Let's head to Saturday selections. We only have a couple of minutes here, but I do need to get into some ball games here. Let's get into some more Saturday selections. Saturday selections. All right, Brady Somersell behind the controls representing intern Sting today who's been picking games alongside of us. We got to go through some games quick here. We got to make some headway before we get out of the show today. Liberty at number 16, Ole Miss, 11 a.m. SEC Network. I am taking the Rebels. This is another team. Don't be fooled by Liberty. They haven't played anyone. And when they have played teams that are a little bit closer to them in talent, ULM, Syracuse, Troy, they've had their offensive production limited. They've even lost a couple of those games. Lost to ULM, lost to Syracuse. The cash and the bets are overwhelmingly in Ole Miss's favor right now on a nine and a half point spread. Ole Miss is the better team. Talent wins out. Give me the Rebels. Got the Rebels as well for Sting. Number three, Michigan State at Purdue, 2.30 p.m. ABC. If you don't think Purdue can do this, look no further than the fact that they beat Iowa a couple weeks ago, 24-7. The line's close. I think it does deserve to be at what it is, which is about three points in favor of Michigan State on the road. But nonetheless, everything Purdue does well, Sparty does better. They kind of are looking in the mirror. It's like Purdue's looking in a mirror, and what they're seeing in response is like a super jacked-up version of them. Michigan State wins this ball game. Purdue doesn't have Kenneth Walker. Give me Sparty. So Sting originally had Purdue and has changed his mind to Michigan State. So, Talked him off the ledge. I understand the upset pick. I don't think that's the game Sparty loses. They'll lose to Ohio State later on. Number 11, Oklahoma State at West Virginia, 2.30 p.m. ESPN. Got about another minute here. Once again, number 11, Oklahoma State at West Virginia, 2.30 p.m. ESPN. After beating Iowa State last week, it just doesn't feel like West Virginia can do it again two weeks in a row. They haven't been consistent enough on the offensive side of the ball this season to make me feel confident that they'll find the points in consecutive weeks. Also, it doesn't bode well for them that Oklahoma State's a good defensive team. Fun, low-scoring game. I think it'll be competitive, but this is still an Oklahoma State team that beat three ranked teams in a row this season in Kansas State, Texas, and Baylor. I think they can take West Virginia on the road. Give me the Cowboys. West Virginia is going to take – or, wow, Sting is going to take West Virginia. It's fool's gold in Morgantown. Give me the Cowboys. <laughs> Betters also heavily favor Oklahoma State in this one, who is six and two against the spread this season. They're favored. Give me the Cowboys. On the other side of this break, we got Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer, here with us on the line. Talk Auburn High, Auburn High Tigers football. Back on on the line. Noah Gardner, Brady Somersell with you on the Friday edition of the show. Waiting on Scott Bagwell to get back with us. Let's do some more picks. Saturday Selections. While we're waiting on getting Scott Bagwell back on the show with us, he'll be calling in shortly, coming out of basketball practice. We will make a couple more picks, and then we'll go to the phone lines Penn State at Maryland, 2.30 p.m., FS1. Brady? We have Sting that has uh, Penn State. Do you agree? I'd probably have to. I think they'll probably bounce back after the Ohio State loss. Reasons? I, I, no, I just <laughs> – no, no reason. You're just feeling it? Just feeling it. So am I. 
Maryland has played some good defenses this year, and when they have, that offense has really struggled. This is another team that is fool's gold if you're looking for an upset. I fell for it earlier in the year. Um, Minnesota held them to 16. Ohio State held them to 17. Iowa held them to 14. For all the struggles they've had with Sean Clifford since he had the game of his life against Auburn, Penn State's defense has been consistently good, and that has helped them win some ball games. They'll ride that to a victory against Maryland on the road, while Maryland's defense is absolutely putrid. South Alabama at Troy, fun group of five rivalry down south. This one actually being played in Troy instead of Mobile, 2.30 p.m. Uh, Sting has Troy winning this one. Why? I know you're a Jags fan, so sell me on it. I I have no earthly idea why he'd pick Troy in this game. Uh, I think South Alabama's going to have – I know Troy's defense is fairly good, but South Alabama's uh, – going to be in uh, go mode they're trying to make a ball game at five and three so this might be their last opportunity too as well south alabama five and three on the year troy at four and four usa knows how important this game is for bowl eligibility with a month they're about to endure with games against appalachian state tennessee coastal carolina all those games coming up troy played coastal really close last week so i understand why the bats are favoring Troy a little bit here but I think this is going to be a fun rivalry game I like USA because of one reason local Opelika product Jake Bentley in case you forgot the guy's been playing in Mobile and he's been playing really well and he's a big part of why the Jags could be going bowling at the end of this year I think that's the huge advantage at quarterback I will take South Alabama to find the points and get the ball eligibility in this rivalry game. South Alabama over Troy. We're now going to head to the phone line. Scott Bagwell now joining us. Auburn High Sports Network play-by-play announcer. Scott, how's it going? Good. How you doing, Noah? Doing really well. First round of the playoffs, my man. Baker coming to town. But first, before we get to the Baker game, Auburn played really well last week against IMG Academy. First of all, what was that like to see IMG Academy in person, but also... What'd you see out of your Tigers as they get ready for the postseason? You know, you know, IMG was uh, probably what everybody would expect IMG, IMG to be. They walk out on the field and you go, "Holy cow!" Um, and I think that was the biggest thing that was impressive for Auburn is they came, they overcame the holy cow. Like these guys line up and you go, "These are dudes." Um, if they, and I don't want to like try to take anything away from IMG. But that's what they're there to do. They're there to be a football program, a football powerhouse, and get the best kids in the country and make them better. And they're really good at what they do. Auburn didn't blink, and uh, Auburn played really, really well. But the message has been uh, since the final horn on, on Friday night, guys, we didn't finish the job. We didn't finish what we wanted to do. Um and, you know, for Auburn High School, that's a big message because it's the same thing when you look back at last year. Didn't finish what you had in front of you. And that's been the message this week and going into the playoffs is, hey, guys, we got unfinished business and it's, and it's time to finish the deal. One day at a time, of course, but the Baker Hornets coming to town. What do you know about the Hornets? Really good offense. They got a good quarterback who can throw it and run it. Coach Etheridge could not say enough nice nice things about the running back uh, as well. Um, he was very impressed with the running back, what the running back does um, for Baker. They also got two receivers that can go get it. This is an explosive, dangerous offense that has been very, very good 
all year long. So it's going to be big for Auburn High to defensively to play their keys and to um and and, and to do what they've done all year long. Uh, after that, it's going to be Auburn High needs to find a way to take care of the ball and be, um, and just you know be as good as they've been offensively really the last three to four weeks uh, since the Central game. Uh, you know, it's first round of playoffs last year in the first round. Auburn was all over Baker, but it's a different Baker team. It's a better Baker team than they won a year than they were a year ago. Auburn High, if they don't show up and play, they're going to have their hands full. And uh, and even then, um, if if Auburn, even if they do play well, Baker has the ability to make plays and and uh, and win the football game here tonight. Forgive me for what I'm about to say because I know you're going to roll your eyes at this, but Baker may be bacon. What does Auburn have to do to get cooking on offense? Uh, Auburn High's got to get the offensive line to do what they've done the last last three weeks, and that's that's win the line of scrimmage. Auburn High against the IMG line. They based, they won the line of scrimmage. IMG linebackers and defensive backs made it really difficult for Auburn to get stuff going in the second half. But the D-line really didn't make a lot of plays. It was the linebackers. Um, Auburn High needs to have their offensive line play well here tonight. And then on top of that, Auburn High needs um, – Auburn High needs some receivers and some playmakers to make plays, whether that be a Bakari Daly or whether that be Davion Williams or whether that be a Cam um, Camden Etheridge. Somebody, you know, the guys that Auburn has relied on all year long to make plays, they need to do that tonight. Because um, I think if Auburn can get some things going, you get a score, you get a stop, you get up, I think then some doubt sets in. But in the playoffs, everybody comes in full of confidence. Looking at – the bracket who does Auburn have if they end up winning this ball game they'll get the winner of Enterprise and Fairhope uh if it's an Enterprise win Auburn will be back at the duck if it's a Fairhope win Auburn will be on the road in round two Fairhope of course hosting that game against Enterprise what is your take on that matchup of course the two three always tends to be close is there room there for an upset oh uh, that's the one four Fairhope won that oh excuse region. me yeah, because Auburn's the two this year because Central went undefeated. Um, if if there was a line on it, I would say take the over. I think there will be points of plenty in that game. Um, I think Enterprise will score. The question is, is are they going to get enough stops to uh, to get the win? Fairhope likes to run the ball. They got a pretty good offensive line. Uh, they'll have a big advantage in the special teams in the kicking game as well which always seems to, to find a way to play, to uh, have a role in who wins and loses close playoff games. Um, it, that's the whole thing is, is can Enterprise get enough stops um, to get the win? you got two very good coaching staffs. Of course, uh, Tim Carter, uh, who used to coach at Auburn High, now the Fairhope coach. Um, you know, he, he's going to have his squad ready, but as we saw Enterprise a couple weeks ago when they played at Auburn, that's a good staff and a good team. Um, it should it'll be an it'll be a good game tonight but I think Fairhope wins that one last question to you before we let you get out of here of course Keith Etheridge has a long career of success in the playoffs um, you know I, he was at Leeds correct and then in addition to Leeds you yep. also had Oxford and and he's won state championships all over the place at this state what does he bring that the x factor to this program and of course Auburn's had some deep playoff runs as well especially in 7a but what does he bring as an X factor with all of that experience of making deep playoff runs? 
you know, it, it's he brings, you know, hey, guy, it, coaches can talk about it. We need to do this, that, and this to win. But when he has the state championship ring on at practice and he say, hey, guys, to get this, you need to do this, it carries extra weight. Um, and, you know, his, his offense coordinators won a state title. The kid, the guys that he brought over from Oxford have been there. The new D-line coach, one of the new D-line coaches, Brandon Hall, an Auburn High graduate, won a state championship at Central. So it's um, when he was a coach. It's, it's one of those things where now – and Auburn was so close last year, so close to winning a state championship, that you have that hunger, you have that fuel that Auburn High has with the experience of, of how to get there and how to win that big game by Coach Etheridge. Uh, hopefully for Auburn High, they, they play off each other very well, and Auburn High can, can give their program's first state championship this year and give Coach Etheridge another. Scott, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Tell everybody where they can hear the broadcast tonight. All the action is going to be on Wings 94.3, um, uh, wingsfm.com and the Wings 94.3 app. Uh, airtime 6.30, kickoff at 7. And if you're at home and you got a smart TV, you can listen to it uh, and watch it as well on the NSHS network. Uh, Auburn High will have all the action uh, on that one done by a very uh, impressive production crew that the Auburn High School students have put together. Scott, I appreciate it, my man. Have a good call tonight. Thanks, guys. Y'all have a good one. That was Scott Bagwell, Auburn High Sports Network, play-by-play announcer with us. Brady, you know this. You're with them on Friday nights. Yeah, it's, it's going to be weird not being there tonight, especially for the first playoff game. But the pun had to have killed him, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. <laughs> he, not that great. But I will say, being a native of Fairhope, uh, this will be a great, great uh playoff series if Auburn and Fairhope get together and play. I think those are two teams that are that want to run the ball and their own lines will dominate games. So that matchup will be very interesting to see if it happens in the second round. Let's head to a quick break here. When we come back, we will go through Saturday selections and wrap up this weekend's slate of games. I'll give you my prediction for Auburn, Texas A&M, as well as some other enticing matchups on the slate. About nine minutes left in the Friday edition of Online. It's been a fun show today. Noah Gardner with you on ESPN 106.7 in Fox Sports Central Alabama. We've got about nine picks left in nine minutes. That was fortuitous. Saturday selections. Here we go. Saturday selections. All right, to the 3 o'clock time slot. SEC Network, number 17, Mississippi State at Arkansas. Feels like these rankings should be flipped. I still don't think Mississippi State's good. I don't care if they beat Kentucky. I don't think Kentucky's that good. The matchups favor Arkansas, in my opinion. State loves to throw the ball, but they're facing one of the more statistically solid secondaries in the league in Arkansas, who's given up just 167.5 pass yards per game. We know they have the athletes in the secondary to limit State's production on offense, who's really not going to stretch you out vertically. I'll trust K.J. Jefferson and Traylon Burks to push Arkansas over the edge in what probably will be a close ball game. Betting favors Arkansas. They're favored. I like Arkansas. They'll get back in the top 25 because the college football playoff will overreact to them beating a ranked team. You know who also likes Arkansas? Sting Sting. as we head to that board. It's like the bear board on uh, college game day. So Sting likes Arkansas also. I like it. Number 19, NC State at Florida State, 3 p.m. ACC Network. I'll make this one brief. 
Florida State did hung did hang in there with Clemson, but you could still see they just don't have the dudes on offense to play well against good defenses. And NC State's got as good of a defense as it comes in the ACC, giving up just 16.3 points per game. It won't be like a runaway, I don't think. I mean, NC State certainly has the potential if they play well, but NC State's also been a little inconsistent this year. I think they win like 30 to 14, something like that. So give me the Wolfpack. Uh, give Sting the Wolfpack as well. LSU at number two, Alabama, 6 p.m. ESPN. I'll make this one brief also. Alabama may continue to look questionable. Nick Saban may throw a temper tantrum because of, you know, someone committing a false start penalty out of a timeout or something. I don't know. Stupid stuff like that's going to happen, but things are over at LSU. This thing's over. Yeah, Bama, Bama by a lot. Tennessee at number 18, Kentucky, 6 p.m. ESPN 2. This is one of the more intriguing matchups for me across the weekend. One of the more intriguing upset picks also, I think, across the weekend. Aside of the offensive outburst against the downtrodden LSU Tigers earlier this year, when has Kentucky's offense really looked impressive? When have they really looked that good? The defense is great. I think it's a good defense. I think Tennessee can kick this game, though, into an an area of tempo that Kentucky does not want to play at. This Tennessee team, doesn't matter who they're playing, they're going to run a lot of plays. And that's going to lead to a decent amount of points, I think. And I don't think it matters who Kentucky's playing. I don't think that offense can score more than 28 points against Tennessee. Can Tennessee hit 30 against that defense? They almost did it against Ole Miss. They almost did it against Alabama. I think they're going to get enough big plays. I think they're going to get enough of the share of time of possession to be able to do it. I'm taking Tennessee in the upset. Sting is also taking that 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 upset as well. But I want to say that stadium is going to be rocking at 6 o'clock at night. Oh, yeah. Kroger Field's been one of the louder places to play in the league this year when they've had key matchups playing in front of their home crowd. Something else I want to point out about this game, another reason for the upset. Tennessee's defense isn't as bad as people think it is. They're 12th in the country in tackles for loss. That's the matchup. Tennessee's defensive line against Kentucky's offensive line. Kentucky loves to run the ball. Tennessee just might have a good enough front seven to be able to limit it and really put them in some tough situations. As well as looking at the betting line and who's betting and where all the money is, a large portion of the cash is on Tennessee to pull the upset. The Sharps like Tennessee. I'll run with the smart guys. Boise State at number 23, Fresno State, 6 p.m. CBS Sports Network. Who does Sting like? Let's go to the board there. This Mountain West game. Sting loves Fresno State in this one. Loves Fresno State. I don't know if I love Fresno State. Did he say he loves Fresno State? No, I just kind of added that. This game makes me uncomfortable. Not only because you don't watch these guys a whole lot. Watched them both a little bit. But this game makes me uncomfortable because we know that Boise has the ability to pull an upset. They did it already this year. They beat BYU. They've got players that can certainly beat Fresno State, but Fresno State's been the more consistent team. Go Bulldogs. I'll take Fresno at home. Jake Hayner's fantastic. Number four, Oregon at Washington, 6.30 p.m. ABC. The Huskies are the first cupcake that they pull out of the box on their remaining schedule. Oregon may lose again this year. They could lose to Utah. They could lose to Oregon State. Honestly, Washington State may be able to shock them, just the brand of football that they play. But then again, they're without Rolovich based on all the vaccine mandate stuff. Oregon may lose again, but it's not this week. Washington may be playing better football. They've gotten up to 4-4, four four, but this is a bad matchup. 
The Huskies give up 178 rush yards per game. And we know that Oregon's offense is predicated on running the football and running it well. They do that. They average over 200 rush yards a game. That may be amplified against this defense that is porous against the run. Washington can't score on anyone. They only score 21 on Arizona, a team that hasn't won a game in football in over two years. Two years. That's Cleveland Browns-esque. Just look at the Arizona game from two weeks ago as the reason why Oregon will win this one. Give me Oregon. Got Oregon as well for staying. Three more games to go through here. Florida at South Carolina, 6.30 p.m. SEC Network. I want to pick the upset. I can't do it. The reality is that South Carolina is down to their ninth-string quarterback. They've got a 67-year-old who started at QB that was apparently set to be a grad assistant, and uh, that's not true at all. Apparently still had collegiate eligibility, but uh, no, I don't know who's playing quarterback for him. It's not a 67-year-old, but... Florida can still score against bad teams. They did it against LSU. They did it against Vanderbilt. I don't think South Carolina is going to be able to score on anyone. Give me the Gators. This might be the pick of the year, but Sting has South Carolina. Oh, injected into my veins. He's trying to blow his lead. Is, he's it, trying to blow his lead. Is he throwing? Is he? He's is throwing. He throwing? He's throwing the towel in. Clemson at Louisville, 6:30 p.m. ACC Network. Brief synopsis of how this game's going to go. Another game that a so-so team can't score on Clemson. Clemson wins ugly, but they win. Clemson as well. Yep. Texas at Iowa State, 6.30 p.m. FS1. I hate this pick. I absolutely hate this pick, but I am going with Iowa State. Who knew that Texas, Rutgers, Florida, Missouri, South Carolina, Tennessee, and LSU would all have the same record at this point in the season? And Washington. Here's the difference in this game. Defense, Iowa State plays a cleaner game than Texas, while Texas will give give up big plays, commit penalties, turn the ball over, yada, yada. It's the story of Sarkeesian's first season. It may even be the story of his career. Texas is cursed. Give me Iowa State. Sting also has Iowa State. Last game to pick. Under two minutes left in the show. Auburn, Texas A&M, 2.30 p.m. CBS, 13th-ranked Tigers in College Station against the Yell Squad, 14th-ranked Texas A&M Aggies. If you've been listening to the show all week long, you know I like the Tigers in this one, and I like them by a lot. I think Auburn wins by more than two touchdowns. They cruise in College Station. I just don't see a matchup that A&M wins in this game. What does A&M like to do? What, what, what is their offensive st- success totally based on, contingent on, necessary? They need this. They need it like air running the football. What is Auburn best at on defense? Stopping the run, and it ain't even close. This is a team that is fourth in the country in tackles for loss on the year. First in the SEC. Better at creating negative plays than Georgia and getting downhill. They're going to stop the run, and then it's all on Calzada. And Calzada cannot beat Auburn with his arm unless he plays the game of his life again like he did against Alabama, which I'll leave the door open for that, but I'm not expecting it to happen. Auburn on offense, look, the A&M defense is good. You know, Auburn could win this game 24 to 10. Auburn could win this game 31 to 13, something like that. That's what I'm expecting because this is going to be played at a slower tempo. It might move quicker on the scoreboard because these two teams are going to run the football. But I think Auburn will find some numerical advantages in the box. They'll be able to run the football, and then Bonex is going to let it fly. Sting also has Auburn all day, quote. That's what he said, Auburn all day. I think Lance has got Auburn winning big, too. I think he picked 42 to 17 on Auburn wire. That's it for another edition of On the Line, another week of On the Line. We'll see you on Monday. You know where to find us.